Jesus, thank you that you are the way maker, Lord, that when it seems impossible, God, you make the way, God, and that's what we declare, that's what we sing. Thank you, God, that nothing stops you, Lord, and you are here tonight, God, to speak to our hearts. And I pray for your spirit upon our meeting right now, God. I pray that you would bless your people who are here, bless your people connected online, Bless your word, God, by the anointing of your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that your word would come forth with, with power, Lord, powerfully changing us and speaking to us this, this evening, Lord. So thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we have to study it. And we ask your anointing, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. All right. Talk about pain for weird fashion i saw this article from 2018 this high-end italian clothing brand they're called golden goose was selling in intentionally a distressed sneaker made to look dirty and held together with some sort of duct tape you could put it up you got to see this where'd it go there it is. Isn't that crazy? They marketed this. They put this out. It's called Superstar, and it's what, uh, that's what it's called. And the description says this. Calf's um, sewed upper featuring a hot application of colored tape, uh, intentionally worn laces, and grungy rubble, rubber sole. How much would you pay for that? Would you... A dollar? Zero? Maybe. Maybe free? Yeah, cents. You know what? It went for sale for $530. Isn't that crazy? And I was reading this article. Oh, Nordstrom was carrying it, and you could get free shipping. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Well, they're kind of known for selling distressed items like that for some high price. I guess it's fashion. I even saw on the website this, like, biker's leather jacket with some duct tape around the zipper part. It was, it was crazy. Anyway, most of the time, the value of an item is determined by the price someone is willing to pay for it, right? So for some reason, that shoe sold out. Now, I was thinking about this. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our sinfulness is, is like this, like no inherent value. It's, it's worth nothing. Yet God was willing to pay a high price to redeem sinners, to redeem us. And you know what? To me, that's grace. That is just grace that God would even do that for us. I mean, would you buy that junky shoe? That's like us. Yet God sent his son to die for us on the cross. I think about Romans 5.8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, that's the idea here as we come together tonight to study in this book, the book of Acts, and as we come to part two of the Apostle Paul being given much Grace, much grace. Our title, once again, uh, is Saved by Grace and Called by Grace. And we're part two tonight. Remember last week we started this out 
in Acts chapter 9 from verse 1 through 9. Well, tonight we're going to finish up our section from 10 through 19. Again, our title is Saved by Grace and Called by Grace, and this is part 2. Now, our outline, our overall outline was this, the hostility, the humbling, and number 3, the honor. And so we saw last week the hostility, the humbling, and tonight we're going to be looking at the honor, the honor. Now, just in review, if you remember, number one, the hostility, we covered verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, and we saw that Saul, who is the Apostle Paul, he was totally consumed, right? He was breeding threats and murder, we see in verse 1. He wanted to root out and get rid of Christians who are blaspheming, well, his God, he thought, the God of Judaism. And so he went around grabbing Christians. He ran around arresting them, imprisoning in them, and even took party in their death, as we saw way back in chapter 7, when Stephen was stoned to death. And he was there. And so in chapter 9, Saul rises up again after the revival in Samaria. And we see the hostility of Saul was brutal and legendary. That was my point last week. And here's Saul. He heard that there were believers in the synagogue in Damascus, in that city. And so he went after them. He got special papers, authorization to go after them, to arrest them, drag them back to Jerusalem for a hearing in front of the Sanhedrin, the high court of Israel. And so here's Saul, totally hostile, full of anger, hatred, bitterness. We talked about the hostility of Saul was just brutal and legendary. He was well known. And he was like us sometimes, right? Zealous, sincerely zealous about something that we're totally wrong about. And so he took that application out of that. So this is the hostility we saw in verses 1 and 2. And then number two, uh, last week, the second thing we saw was the humbling. And here we study verses 3 and 9. And, and we saw that as Saul approached the city of Damascus in verse 3, suddenly this light shone around him. Remember, we, we found in the other testimony in Acts chapter 26, and there's, other, uh, there's another count of this in Acts 22. But we, we, remember I mentioned that this light, was brighter than the noonday sun, than the midday sun. And so we found that this was the glory of God shining down upon Saul. Now, as Saul approached Damascus, this light came upon him, stopped him in his tracks. He fell on the ground on his face, and then a voice came out, and we learned that that is the voice of Jesus Christ. And remember, Jesus asked Paul, why, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me in verse 4? And, and, and that was confronting Saul with his sin of what he was doing. And remember, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say the apostles. He didn't say believers or Christians. But me, because Jesus, if you do that to the least of, of one of them, you do it to me, like Jesus said. And so... Then Jesus reveals himself to be who? But Jesus of Nazareth. And that clicks in Paul's mind. That, whoa, this is the Jesus? This is the one the believer's been talking about? This is, remember, the way, the people in the way? 
These, this is the one they've been saying, the one who, was, who came and died on, on the cross, who appeared and taught people and then died on the cross, and, and now the believers are claiming that he, he rose again from the dead. Jesus reveals himself. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm alive. And so here we found in verse 5 between the white spaces that this is where Saul believed. He was humbled. This was the humbly of Saul and resulted in salvation. He was saved in Jesus Christ at that moment. And as I mentioned last week, this is God's grace. I mean, here's this guy going around torturing uh, forcing Christians to recant Jesus, blaspheme God, it says, to, to go against Jesus. Here he is brutally persecuting the believers. I mean, I, if anybody would deserve any judgment, it would be Saul, right? But God stopped them in his tracks and saved them, all by what? The grace of God. The grace of God. Purely the grace of God. And no wonder, right, he wrote in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yeah, It wasn't anything Saul did, he was doing the opposite. He was going against God. Jesus was saying, why are you persecuting me? You're, you're fighting against me, you're rebelling against me. And God could, could have with his finger just went boop, and there was Saul gone. But in God's grace, he saved Saul, stopped him in his tracks, and Saul became a Christian. Saul became a Christian. So then the Lord instructed Saul to go into the city, and for three days he was without sight. He neither ate or drank, verse 9 says. He couldn't see, right? He was blinded. Uh, I remember I mentioned the last image probably he could see that was burned on his retina was the Jesus, the image of Jesus. And that's what he thought about these past three days. So we see the hostility, verses 1 and 2. Number 2, the second thing we saw was the humbling, verse 3 through 9. And so with that review, now we come to number three in our outline. We're going to spend uh, the rest of our study here uh, looking at verse 10 through 19. And I'm calling this the honor, the honor. So we see the hostility, the humbling. And now Saul actually gets this honor to serve Jesus Christ to serve the very one he was against. So we begin here in verse 10 now. Verse 10, take a look with me here, it reads, And now, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, verse 11, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarshish named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Then verse 12, And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. We'll stop there. We begin once again with Luke writing here. And here he goes on with this story now of Saul, his conversion, and now we're going to see his calling. And in verse 10, it says, There was this disciple at Damascus, that was the city Saul was going into, and his name was 
Ananias. Now, this is different from the high priest, uh, you know, back in the Gospels. Uh, this is a total different person. And Ananias, we don't know too much about him. Uh, he comes on the scene and disappears on the scene. Uh, Paul actually mentions in his testimony of his conversion coming to Jesus in Acts 22.12 that Ananias was a devout Jew. So he, this is a Jewish person, but I, and, and he's a saved one, though, too, right? Uh, he's going to come and help Saul. So he's saved. He's a believer. He's a Jewish believer now in Christ. So this is Ananias. What we do know is what we see here in verse 10 is that Ananias is faithful. He's a faithful servant of God. Why? Because look in verse 10. There's this, ser- there's this disciple, disciple of Jesus, a believer named Ananias, and the Lord calls to him in a vision, calls him Ananias, right? And then what does he say right away? Here I am, Lord. Here I am. I, I think that's amazing. Ananias is quick to respond, for he knows the voice of the Lord. He knows this is the Lord. Here I am, Lord. Right? See, I believe Ananias, being a disciple of Jesus, I believe Ananias, in his response here to the Lord calling him, I believe Ananias lived in a regular communion with God. He didn't hesitate here. He heard the Lord's voice. He didn't question like, is that really you, Lord? You know, it wasn't like Samuel when he, when he was a boy and the Lord called him and he ran, ran, ran to um, Eli. Eli, Eli. I can't talk. But anyway, right? But here, Ananias is like, here I am, Lord. Right away, he was quick to respond. And so here's a guy, Ananias, who walked with God and regularly talked with God. He had a relationship with the Lord. It was intimate, I believe. Ananias was Jesus' sheep, right? When Jesus, remember when Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know, right? It's me. And they followed the shepherd. That's Ananias. Isn't that a great picture of him? It sounds sort of even like Isaiah, right? In Isaiah chapter 6 when the voice comes out of heaven, who, who, will, you know, who, who will go, you know? And and. Isaiah says, here I am. And that's that obedient heart. Well, I just want to stop and think about that for a moment, even though we're talking about Saul. Isn't that amazing to see Ananias so quick to respond and recognize the Lord's voice? You know, we live in a day and an age where there's a lot going on, right? I mean, not only on TV, or, or even if you, you, you know, you watch, um, we have Apple TV and, we'll, you know, we have different apps for like Netflix or something like that or Disney or whatever. But, but, but you know, sometimes they insert commercials too. And there's just so much going on. There's, there's a lot of commotion in our lives. TV or social media, think about that. Yeah. There's this constant noise and constant we're listening to things or watching youtube or whatever that is and i was thinking it's a wonder if we even hear god when he calls it's a wonder that we might even miss that still small voice like with elijah 
I think we need to just stop and think about this for a moment that let's be like Ananias. Let's be connected to the Lord. Let's, let's talk with God regularly. Let's hear His voice in our lives. Let's, let's sense the Holy Spirit. And when God calls, may we be just as ready as Ananias and say the same thing. Here I am. Rick, oh, here I am. Lord, it's you. I won't say, wait, is that Kristen? No, <laughs> right? We should be able to recognize the Lord's voice in our life. All right, then, so the Lord instructs Ananias. Rise, go, verse 11, go to the street called Straight. Now, in Damascus, there's actually still a street like that. It runs down the middle of the city. And guess what? It's a straight street right down, straight down the middle. <laughs> and it's called Straight. And so on that street, there's a house that of Judas. Now, this is a different Judas. This isn't Judas Iscariot. It was a popular name. So uh, here, there's a man uh, who has a house there. And inside the house is a man of Tarsus named Saul. Now, Saul is from Tarsus. It, it's sort of like more north of Syria, Damascus. It's, it's in our modern-day Turkey. Uh, back then, it was in the area of like Galatia, Sicilia, around that area. So Paul was from there. Remember, Paul was a full-on Jew. He grew, in the, grew up in a Greek culture, but he was also trained in a Jewish culture. Uh, his father um, uh, was a Pharisee. He's a Roman citizen too. So, so this is Saul, Saul of Tarsus that he's known by. So Ananias recognized that, and we'll see that in a moment. Ananias would know who Saul of Tarsus is. He, Saul, right, was legendary in his hostility. And probably when Ananias heard this, he was probably like, ooh, this is the dreaded pirate. No. Um, but he, think about today. Today we use the term terrorist. That's Saul, really. He was a terrorist against Christians. And so everyone know that, know who he is. Ananias would know that. And he, and he hears that. But we'll get to his reaction or what he asked the Lord in a moment. But what I want you to see is at the end of verse 11, it says, For behold, the Lord tells Ananias, he is praying. Isn't that great? He is praying. The Lord said he's praying. Paul is praying. He's been praying these past three days he can't see. And not only that, verse 12, the Lord said, and you know what? Saul has seen a vision of a man. And guess what? It's you, Ananias. He's seen a vision of you come in, lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So God is working the sovereign plan of his sovereign plan and his purposes for Saul right here. Notice verse 11 that, that Saul in praying. I, I, I would imagine for Saul that for the first time in his life, he's not doing some ritual. You know, the Pharisees, Saul was a Pharisee, prayed three times a day. It was prescribed for them. I'm sure it's just this ritual they go through. But for the first time in his life, now that he is saved, now that Christ has atoned for his sins, now that he has, he has a relationship with God that he's truly communing with 
God right now. That he's truly connecting with God here. Take note, Saul, his, his life has been transformed here. Saul, we're, we're going to see it all unfold in the book of Acts and how different it is. And, and that's why when, it, when the Lord says he's praying, I think Saul's really connecting with God like never before. And in praying, you know what? That is actually an indication of a transformed life. When we come to Christ, you know what? Inside of us, naturally, we want to pray. We want to talk to God. We want to be with God. We want to spend time with Him. And that's really an indication that something has happened inside. And you desire to pray. You know, prayer should be natural for a Christian, like breathing. And Paul, he became a man of unceasing prayer. This, this is where it all began. I think right here we're, we're reading at the end of verse 11 is what unfolds in epistles. Just about every epistle, Paul talks about praying. Praying for the church. Praying for the people he's writing to. Praying. Like Romans 1.10, he says, Always in my prayers in remembrance of you. Or Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. Or 2 Timothy 1.3 says, I remember you constantly in my prayers. You know what he says? Night and day. Maybe he learned it here, right? Three days. Burned in his retina is the image of Christ. Burned in his eyes is Suddenly, he has this love for his Savior and the Savior who saved him and the Savior who gave him grace. He should have been judged. He should have been done with. But God reached out in love and saved him and atoned for his sins. You guys, I don't know about you, but just to read this little part, he is praying and the Lord recognizing that. The Lord saying, hey, he's praying, you know. Maybe the Lord's like, Oh, it touches my heart. He's praying. Yeah? Shouldn't we pray more then? Yeah? We need to get into praying. All right, look at verse 13 now. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Well, Ananias has a great heart. Here I am, Lord. He hears what the Lord wants him to do, to go to who? Saul of Tarshish. And I think Ananias just has to double check here. Did I, did I hear you right? Is there like water still in my ear? You know, kind of thing. He's not being unfaithful. He's not questioning God. He's like, wait, wait, Lord, let, let me just make sure. I want, I'm going to do what you asked me to do, but, but let me just, you know what? Lord, I heard about this guy. I heard about, I mean, I, Ananias says, Lord, I heard about it. I mean, he, he's done much evil to your saints. Where? In Jerusalem. Remember, persecution started in Jerusalem and, it, and all the believers fled. And that's what spread the gospel. And remember I was saying that Saul probably is the one who was heading up that persecution. 
And now he hears Damascus. There's some believers there. They're actually talking about Jesus. And where? The synagogue? The Jewish synagogue? No, he can't have that. So he gets those papers, the authority to go. And that's what Ananias says. He has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. To arrest them, drag them back to Jerusalem. So, so what Saul was doing got out. Yeah, Everyone knew what Saul was after. You know, one commentator, I thought this was interesting, speculated now, just speculation. Perhaps, maybe Ananias was a leader of maybe a church or a synagogue, some, maybe. Maybe Paul or Saul was actually coming for him in particular. What a thought, yeah? It could be, one day we can ask Ananias in heaven, but but. Wouldn't that be crazy that Saul was actually, he was like the target then, uh, you know, plus other Christians, right? But what if Ananias was the target and then now the Lord's saying, hey, Ananias, go to Saul. Maybe Ananias knew, so knew that and he's like, oh, Lord, you sure? You want me to go to him? I mean, I'll go if you want, but I just want to make sure. Well, the Lord clarifies to Ananias, yeah, I want you to go. He says, go, for he is a chosen instrument. Now that's huge, huge. God has chosen Saul to be his instrument, to be his tool to further God's kingdom, to further the gospel. The one who is so out to destroy the way is now going to be an ambassador for the way. Isn't that crazy? That's God just flipping things around. And that shows Ananias, oh Lord, you did something here in his heart. Yeah. So the Lord, the, the Lord's like, He's my chosen instrument to carry my name, Jesus Christ, before the Gentiles, the kings and children of Israel. So not just the Jews, the children of Israel. But God's going to bring Paul before kings. And we're going to see this unfold in the book of Acts. Much of the book of Acts is going to be a Saul or Paul's story. We're going to see him like stand before King Agrippa. We're going to learn that when he was arrested, he, he probably eventually uh, had a hearing before Caesar Nero himself. When uh, the book of Philippians written while he's in prison waiting. For that hearing. We're going to see that uh, Paul or Saul, he does go into synagogues. That's, he goes from town to town into the synagogues and starts sharing Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that God has really called him to be a witness to the Gentiles and particularly Saul or Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. So this is amazing. God is giving him a, a huge mission here. A huge mission. This guy who is so against Christianity is now going to be a spokesman for the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? So here's the Lord specifically calling Saul to be his instrument. To serve the Lord. Remember, uh, uh, we studied last time that Saul's like, well, what, what do you want me to do? In his other testimony, Acts 26. 
And so the Lord said, hey, go into the city, wait, you'll get instructions. Now Saul's heart was already a heart of surrender to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? I will serve you. And I believe that is another indication of a transformed life. That when we come to Christ, we automatically, we want to serve the Lord, you guys. It's been said, Christians have been saved to serve. We've been saved to serve. We're part of this body that works, the body of Christ, the church. We're we're here because God wants to use us to further his kingdom. We're here to be praying, to be helping the kids, or wherever God has called you, to be active in furthering his kingdom and bringing Christ to others and helping disciple and helping raise people up in the Lord. Jesus didn't save us just to, oh, I'm saved, and we just go on with our life and go back to life. No, he saved us to use us as tools for his kingdom, and you and I are tools also. It's not about me anymore you know it's not about well i just like to sit at home and and just enjoy my life no god wants you to enjoy your life with him and furthering the kingdom of god and so here is saul he has that desire and god is calling him to this huge mission this huge mission but look at verse 16 the lord adds this and told Ananias, for he's going to be this witness, carry, be an instrument of mine, carry my name, but verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And we're going to be seeing that in the book of Acts. I, I kind of feel like that um, when Paul heard from Ananias this report from the Lord that he's going to suffer for Christ's name, I kind of feel like Paul received it well. It wasn't like, what? You know, what? I gave you my life and I'm going to get this, you know? I mean, sometimes people are like, uh, well, I don't know if I want to really serve God and surrender everything because what if he sends me as a missionary to Timbuktu and there's these giant bugs over there, you know, right? We have this fear that God's going to... Put us somewhere that we're not going to lie. That's not how the, the Lord works. I kind of feel like Paul was willing to go through anything for Jesus. You know why? Because he had put believers through the ringer. He was the one. And now on this side of the cross for his life, he's willing now to suffer for Jesus, just as they did. He understands that now. He understands the cost. He's understanding that, okay, Christ suffered for me. And I have to suffer too. He understands he's joining the ranks of this side of the line now. Paul said in Colossians 1.25, I just want to read this to you. It's the NLT. It says, I am glad, Paul wrote this, when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Then he says in verse 25, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. So he knows what comes with the package of sharing Christ and the gospel is suffering. He even wrote that, right? All those who are godly will suffer persecution in Timothy. He wrote that. He understands that. that. That's 
part of the life. But I, I feel like Paul is even willing to even go the distance for Christ and suffer and endure because of what he's done. And now he's on this side. And so he's willing to live that life for the Lord. So here's this incredible calling of Saul. And this is the point. The honor to be one of the main messengers of Jesus was given to one who was bitterly against it. That's the honor. Saul got this honor to actually serve Christ. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm so bad. I'm not worthy to serve Christ. But think about Saul. Think about he was the worst of the worst against God's children, against his people. Yet the Lord graciously saved him. And now the Lord graciously gave him a mission to serve him in a huge way, you guys, right? We know Saul or Paul, right? He wrote most of the New Testament. God used him in a huge way. This isn't just some little thing. It's not like Ananias comes on the scene and disappears. He's a major player in Christianity. He's one of my heroes. And look what he came from. It's all grace. Saved by grace, and he's called by grace. That's our title. So here's Paul. The honor to be one of the main messengers of Jesus was given to one who is bitterly against it. John Newton once said this, When I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many people there whom I did not expect to see. That's God's grace. The second wonder will be to miss many people whom I did expect to see. And the third and greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there. Do you know why John Newton even said that last line? Because he didn't feel worthy. But he knew that he can only be saved and be in heaven by the grace of God. Do you know who John Newton is? Do you know who he was before Jesus came into life? He was a captain of a slave ship. He took party of bringing slaves here and buying, selling slaves. But God saved him by his grace. And John Newton is the one who wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. And how sweet it was to his heart. Listen to what's on the gravestone. The encryption on John Newton's gravestone has this on it. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy he became a pastor a minister of the lord this is god's grace you guys if if you think you have no hope in the lord you're you're all wrong and what we're seeing with saul here you're you're totally wrong about that it's in your own mind god takes us castaways and us sinners and us guys who've done the worst. He, he saves us by his grace. He forgives us. He atones for our sins. He cleans us up. He makes us into new creations. And then he puts us to work in his kingdom. 
That's grace, guys. Maybe you feel like you've done something so horrible. Oh, God, you can never use me again. No, look at these guys. Look at John Newton or, or that other um, um, a Muslim, right, priest guy. I read, I, I read to you or told you about last week or Saul here and over and over. Look how Peter denied Christ three times. And Jesus even predicted that. Yet Jesus forgave him. Jesus, when he resurrected from the dead, he, he, he told the women, oh, go tell the disciples. And Peter specifically pointed him out. Remember at the end of John, he met with Peter. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Tend to my sheep. Get back in ministry. Listen, you and I do not deserve to be messengers of the gospel. We don't deserve it. We don't. But we've been given grace. And, and with that grace, we can shine the light of grace. We, we can be examples of what the grace of God is. What the grace of God can do. There's an interesting verse in Ephesians 2, 7. It says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's talking about believers. That we are going to be shining forth as an example of God's grace and how he saved us. The term that's been then the news with this verse is you and I are trophies of God's grace. You are a trophy of God's grace. You are put upon God's mantle to show everybody what grace is. That's God's grace. That he would even do that, right? Unbelievable that he would do that. Unexpected that God would save me. And then he uses us for his glory understand that receive that in your heart today understand that well let's go on here so verse 17 so ananias departed he he obeyed the lord and entered the house found judas his house on the on the road street straight (laughs) and uh laying his hands on paul on him he said brother saul The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and took food. He was strengthened. So Ananias goes, he finds a house and then he finds Saul. And I love what he said. I mean, don't you love this in verse 17? He says, Brother Saul. It's like he's saying, welcome to the family. You're one of us now. You belong to the children of of the Father of Christ. You're, you're, you're you're, You're part of us. I love that. It's not like, oh, Saul, I don't know if this is real. No, right away. Yeah? God confirmed it. Christ confirmed it. So he welcomed him, brother Saul. He reached out in love, laid his hands on him, and he said, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road. Remember I referenced this at the beginning of the chapter last week that, who was that voice? Well, right here. It was the Lord Jesus. And in other passages, Paul did write in epistles that he saw Jesus with his own eyes. That he saw the resurrected Jesus. And that's why 
he can qualify to be apostle. And we'll talk about that later. So it's the Lord Jesus who appeared to you. Look, by which you came that on that robe. He sent me to you. I'm a, I've come because God sent me to you. How comforting that must be. Plus it, it matches, right? Where the Lord gave Saul that vision. There's a man of Ananias coming. He's going to come. going to pray for you. And then Ananias shows up and says, Hey, God sent me to you. And he does exactly what Paul's vision was. And Ananias does what the Lord told him. I bet Saul had like chicken skin at that moment, right? Whoa. Oh, Lord. And I believe that just confirmed and cemented in his heart. Lord, you are working. This isn't just some, uh, I'm in some dream kind of thing. This is real. This man showed up. This man found me. God, you sent him to me because you love me. And so Ananias said, so I've come. So that I may pray for you and that you may regain your sight. Remember, he couldn't see. After he saw Jesus, he had to be led into the city for three days. He was blind. He couldn't see anything. And so to me, that was another sign that the Lord was there working in his life, confirming what God said would come to pass. And then Saul would understand, this is the Lord. The Lord is working here. I know, I see how God works, uh, how God speaks, and it happens. And so he's seeing things unfold. And then Ananias said, and you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's important. Not only restoring his sight, but to be filled with the Spirit, to be empowered for the work that God is calling Saul to do. Now, I keep intermixing Saul's and Paul, the two names. And, and so his Hebrew name is Saul. He actually had two names, a Hebrew name, and Paul was like his Roman name. Remember, he's a Roman citizen also. So here's Saul. We see him as Saul. It's going to switch in Acts 13. After that, Luke's going to start calling him Paul. And it's there that Paul actually steps out to start witnessing to the Gentiles. And so that's why he switches his name. So that's why there's Saul. That's why there's Paul. So Saul is empowered by the Holy Spirit so he can fulfill that calling of God. And notice something here, too, that it says in verse 18, then he rose and was baptized. That's talking about water baptism. So just, uh, just as a note, he was already saved. He was he was. And, and possibly when, when his sight was restored, if uh, like scales fell from an eyes, his eyes kind of like, ooh, and he could see. Yeah. That perhaps that was even the moment that he was filled with the Spirit. And then he got up, was baptized by Ananias, water baptism, as a public show of his commitment to God. So understand water baptism doesn't save you, but it's a public show and it's a public act of showing that you gave your life to Christ. So understand that today. You know, uh, Hudson Taylor uh, once said that God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And he also said God's work is not man working for God. It is God's own work, though often wrought through man's hands. 
And I give you that because I want you to see that it's the Holy Spirit that's going to empower Saul to fulfill the mission that is given to him. Understand, it's the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say in Acts 1-8 when we first started this book? Right? That you will receive power. Right? That you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That you may be able to be witnesses. Right? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, out to the ends of the earth. Well, what's going to power Saul to be a powerful force in the kingdom of God to bring many to Jesus Christ? What's going to um, empower Saul to start so many churches, plant so many all over the place? What's going to empower Saul to endure the beatings and the scourgings and the imprisonment and the stoning and all that he's going to go through? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. God is calling Saul to a mission. God's commandment is God's enablement. Know that. So whatever God calls you to do, however we need, if we're saved, we're going to serve, know that the Holy Spirit will empower you. Don't look inside yourself like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know. Yeah, if you look to yourself, you can't do that. But you look to the Holy Spirit, He can give you the ability, the capability, the wisdom, the, the faith, the, the, the urgency inside you even. God can do that for you. Perhaps maybe that's been a problem anyway in your life, that you've been trying to do your own work. Do it in your own way. But it's God who does the work in you. Sometimes we go out thinking, yeah, God, I'll, I'll do this for you, but it, 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 maybe it's more your own work. It's you doing it. It has to be God working through you. So as Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled, you know what that means? That, that means to, to relinquish control. That's what that means. To submit yourself to the Spirit. That's what that means. That you follow the Spirit. That you allow the Spirit to empower you. Not your own. Not do what you like. It means not to grieve the Holy Spirit, but to submit and surrender control to the Holy Spirit. That's why Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk with wine, right? Because alcohol can control you. But he's saying, no, let the Spirit control you. And there's the power. There's the strength. And that's what Paul wrote even and what he learned and what he received at this moment of what we read in Ephesians 5. Well, to me, under the control of the Spirit, being filled in the Spirit, Ananias stepped out in faith, right, to go to Saul. He listened to the Lord. I mean, think about, though the Lord said, go. Yes, Lord, I'm going to go. I mean, I'm sure way deep inside there's still probably some, okay, Lord, I'm going to go. I'm going to be faithful. I'm sure there's still a little bit inside of him a risk factor, yeah, a, a, a little risk he's taking. And I'll tell you, when we serve the Lord, it's going to be like that. 
We're going to have God fill us and the Spirit fill us, and we're going to be empowered, but sometimes there's moments you're like, oh, okay, God. And sometimes stepping out is like, okay, I'm going to go. I want I love you, Lord. I want to follow you. I'm going to be obedient. Just that. But let me tell you, to be a disciple of Jesus and to go out on the mission to fulfill what God has called you to, there's always going to be that little, little risk. But you're going to be okay because if God called you to do that, if God called you, he's going to be there. And here's Ananias. I, I just want to kind of close in with not just Saul, but at, close up here with Ananias. I mean, here's a guy, this unknown person, yet he became a vital link in the history of Christianity. He's mentioned in the Word of God because he was the link to help Paul, to pray for him that, that the blindness would lift and the Holy Spirit would come, and I believe he baptized Paul. You know what? Ananias ends up being just as important as Paul. And I believe he was filled with, filled with the Spirit. He followed the Lord. He obeyed, did his calling, fulfilled his calling. And that's just like you and I. God. We may not be like Paul the Apostle, but we still, every one of us, have an important part in the chain, in the link of God using every one of us to further his kingdom. Without Ananias, maybe Paul would still be blind. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't, probably not. But, you know. But think about that, yeah? So God wants to use you and I like he did Ananias. I want to close with this. They say that Billy Graham has shared the gospel with more people than anyone else in history. But the question is, who shared the gospel to him? Well, it really started out a long, long time before Billy Graham came to Christ. It started with the Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. You ever heard of him? No one, hardly anybody. I, I love this story, so I, I remember him. And those of you who heard this know him, but Edward Kimball. Well, he was praying for um, boys in his Sunday school class to come to Jesus. And then there was another young man who came into Kimball's sights, and this young man's name was Dwight L. Moody. Now, Dwight L. Moody worked at a shoe store, and Kimball went to the store, and in the back room where he was at, he shared Jesus Christ, and Moody received Jesus and was saved. Now, if you ever heard of Dwight L. Moody, his name, he became a great evangelist. Well, Wilbur Chapman, this other minister, was touched by Moody's ministry, and so Chapman became an evangelist too. In one of Chapman's, Wilbur Chapman's outreaches, a professional baseball player named Billy Sunday got saved. Billy Sunday began to grow in the Lord, and you know what? He began to preach Jesus at evangelistic crusades. He became evangelist too. And at one of the crusades, a young man named Mordecai Ham came to Jesus. 
And then he started his own evangelistic meetings. One day, Mordecai Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina. And a sandy-haired young man went to see what would happen when his friend said they would interrupt the meeting one night at this evangelistic outreach. The young man was intrigued in what he heard. So he came back the second night where it was then he accepted Jesus Christ and this young man's name, Billy Graham. Isn't that neat? Just, just this chain, this link of people that God used. And who knows what went on after that. All the people got saved under Billy Graham. Who knows the thousands of pastors maybe, other evangelists, and how they affected other people. You could probably even trace this back farther than Edward Kimball. You could trace it all the way back to the Apostle Paul, to Ananias, and Jesus Christ himself. Yeah. So Saul, Ananias, through the centuries, God's grace has been transforming lives, and those lives have been affecting others. That's us too. None of us deserve this. None of us deserve to be used by God. None of, us, none of us deserve to be saved. But God in his love and grace has saved us and brought us to Christ and our sins are atoned for. And now, we're still here on this planet. We're not home in heaven yet. We got a job to do. That's what that means. Or else he'd just take us home. So let's listen for God, for his calling. Let's listen for his voice. Well, Dean, yes, here I am, Lord. No, it's just really me calling. No. <laughs> but you understand, yeah? We're in this moment. We're in this time, you guys. Christ is coming soon. And more than ever, this is the time to serve the Lord. And it's by His grace. Put aside, I don't know, I'm not worthy, I can't do it. Put that all aside. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Let's understand the grace of God and let's understand we're all called. If we're saved, then we've got to serve. Understand, that's what grace is. That's what grace does. We are, we can be, saved by grace and called by grace. Let's pray. God, we hear your call, Lord. Lord, we are moved in our hearts through your word tonight. Oh, Lord, I want to do more. I want to be more on fire for you, God. We're going to see unfold in the book of Acts how zealous Paul was. Paul was so zealous for, for getting rid of Christians. He's He's going to change to be zealous about making new Christians. <laughs> Lord, may we follow in his footsteps. Understanding the grace that you've given us, even more so may that move us, motivate us, drive us. That your grace is reaching out to so many around us. Lord, we pray for the lost around us. We pray you, you give us a voice. You give us boldness, God. You give us opportunities. Lord, that... Uh, we don't want to just plant seeds. 
God, we want to water them. We want to nurture them. God, we want to bring in the harvest and be part of the harvest. Lord, you said the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And we don't want to be just sitting, God, but we want to be part of the labor force of bringing others to Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we, we ask for the honor, God, of serving you in this way and, and the privilege perhaps of sitting down and leading someone in a prayer to receive you, Jesus. How many people have we really done that for? God, we just want to be used by you. If it's sharing, Lord, if it's, if it's serving here in the church, if it's helping out Keiki Church, whatever it is, Lord, we want to be part of you moving. And God, we recognize that it's not us. It's your grace and it's your Holy Spirit. If we can remember anything tonight, that it's grace and your Holy Spirit. God, fill us right now with your Spirit. Lord, I pray for anyone online, anyone here tonight, anyone at the sound of my voice who's yearning to be filled, to be baptized with your Spirit, to be empowered with the ability and capability to do your work and fulfill the mission you've called us. God, may you fill us with your spirit right now as we ask, God. You said if we just ask, you will answer, Lord. And then I'm asking, God, that you would fill us and fill us again and, and that we would, as we surrender to your will, as we re- relinquish control of our lives, Lord, to you, for you to do as you will. God, use us as your instruments, as your tools. So fill us, God, right now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.